time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. It is the last day of 2008, December 31st. I guess it's, you know, this week, you know, right before the uh, the turn of the year, everyone has their, like, year-end review shows, right? You know, the, the year-end review in the news, the year-end review in entertainment. Well, we're going to have the year-end review in apostasy. We're going to look through the... Um, the major biff-ups, <laughs> Christian and non-Christian even, of 2008, of the things that uh, we discovered over the uh, the course of a year, and kind of give you a state of just how off the rails certain segments of the Christian church is. And uh, so today's our year in review. What do you think? Is that a good idea, John? It's a good idea. It could be entertaining, though. Yes. Yeah, so... You know, some of these stories you will have heard if you're if you're a regular listener to uh, Pirate Christian Radio, Fighting for the Faith, even Issues, etc. They've covered some of the stuff. And some of the stuff, um, it, it may be shocking to you. You may have never heard it before. But, uh, you know, let's just say that 2008, as far as spiritual health in the uh, Christian church in the United States, um, is hitting all-time lows. It's... Uh, it, the the craziness that is going on in the name of Christianity today um, shows a complete lack of understanding of the Scripture, complete lack of understanding of law and gospel, complete lack of understanding of sound doctrine. What is appropriate for Christians anymore? We've, you know, we've gone in our attempts to be relevant. We've made ourselves look stupid in our attempt. You know, in in our lack of discernment. Uh, th- things have happened in 2008 that just would make your hair curl. And uh, the reality is, unless God grants us reformation, 2009 is already it's already turn, it's turning out to be, you know, a, a new low watermark. You know, guarantee you, you know, by by the time we do this show a year from now, the stuff that we're going to be doing it on, it, you you just when you think it can't get any worse, it, believe me when it, it when I tell you, I've been watching these trends for like the last four or five years, and every year I say. It can't get worse. It can't get worse. It it and it does. <laughs> it really, really does. So we'll be looking at stuff from Rick Warren from the Emergent Church. Uh, we'll review some some strange, seeker sensitive stuff. Some of the silly songs that have come out this year because that's good entertainment. Uh, we'll listen to Catherine Jefford Shorey. Uh, we've got stuff from Mike Murdoch, from Patricia King, from Todd Bentley. Uh, the token, the Holy Ghost, guys. I mean, it's just we're we're going to be all over the place, and so uh, in fact, to start off, our, our you know just to kind of give you a state of affairs here, you know, religiously and in, in the in the United States, we're going to start off with the marijuana ministers. Yeah. <laughs> now you've heard of the token, the Holy Ghost people, right? Yeah. yeah. Now the, to- the, the there's a big difference between the token, the Holy Ghost people, and the marijuana ministers. It sounds like it already. Yeah, because here's the deal: the marijuana ministers really actually toke marijuana. 
in, in the name of God. So he, here, here's one of our stories from 2008, just to kind of... Two so-called marijuana ministers file a motion to have their case dismissed based upon religious freedom. But the Baldwin County Sheriff's Office accuses them of drug trafficking. I'm Adam Walter and Bay Manette. We'll tell you that story coming up. An update to a strange case out of Baldwin County. It involves a minister and his wife. They're accused of growing marijuana. They say they use it in worship. The case is about to go to court now. Defense's argument it could change how the law in Alabama interprets the use of drugs for religious reasons. Fox 10 News Baldwin County reporter Adam Walser follows up on the story he broke last December. On the Green Earth Ministries website, the massive 28-pound marijuana plant the Baldwin County Sheriff's Office seized is called the Tree of Life. That was for our own personal use as a, as a, as a religious sacrament, as a, as a health remedy. The two people who grew it, Bruce Schuf and his wife, Brenda Williams, have filed Baldwin County Circuit Court saying they are cannabis ministers. It's not really necessary for me to convince anyone that, that my religion is real, just that I believe it. I believe it, my own personal self, and I do. I am very sincere. <laughs> yes, that, that's right. You're basically they uh, they use marijuana as a sacrament in their religion, and they have a cannabis ministry. And uh, yeah, let's. Williams say marijuana helps them commune with God, the prophets, and Jesus Christ. In their 26-page court brief, they also argue it was used in biblical times to make anointing oils. I don't think the facts in this case are going to bear out um, even a religious practice that these people have been involved in. District Attorney Judy Newcomb says Shoup and Williams knew they were breaking the law, no matter what their beliefs. So far, Alabama courts have not recognized the use of illicit drugs in religious practices. But I do not see it as a valid exemption to growing marijuana in your yard. So you got the gist of that one. I mean, that just—that's just our lead-off story. I mean, these these people are actually claiming. And what's funny is, is I actually had a, a, a several really long telephone conversations with uh, the guy who runs Temple Four Twenty, which is a, a another. He's a he's a, he claims to be a Judeo-Christian pastor, so he does both Jewish and Christian services. And he he honestly argued with me that from the book of Revelation that the that marijuana is the tree of life mentioned in the book of Revelation. And so these people are basically saying that, uh, hey, you know, they commune with the prophets and with Jesus Christ uh, via marijuana, because we all know that's how you get in touch with God. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, okay, 2008 was a year marked by, let's say, a, a supreme obsession with sex uh, in the Christian church, starting early on in, uh, in, in, uh, with the 30-day sex challenge that came out of Paul Worth's church, relevant church in, in Florida. And here's the, here's the uh, relevant audio on that. A Bay Area pastor has a new challenge for his parishioners tonight, and it involves sex a subject that may be taboo in many congregations. Fox 13's Craig Patrick shows us why husbands are taking a whole new interest in church. The men of Relevant Christian Church planned a big surprise for their wives. Rumors were going around of what it might be. Pastor Paul Worth told his wife about it first. She just goes, I think you're absolutely out of your mind. And remember, this is, this is the pastor that we, you know, just a few weeks ago, we did reviewed his Kung Fu Panda sermon. 
And uh, this is the guy who invented the 30-day sex challenge, and it was copied by other people. We'll get to that. But he got the idea from the good book itself. Jesus talks a lot about uh, sex. So Pastor Worth and his all-male committee. Jesus talks a lot about sex. <laughs> I don't recall that. Uh, anyway. Issued a 30-day sex challenge. It's going to be tempting and it's going to be awkward at the same time, for sure, for sure. Single men and women cannot have sex for 30 days, and married couples must have it every day. If you look at studies, studies will say that in 30 days you can develop a habit. So they actually printed a daily checklist. Husbands call it the other good book. Um, for each of us to write down our needs um, and what we, you know, every day. It definitely caught the church wives by surprise. That would make wives more likely to go along with that kind of <laughs> <laughs> Others say they mean that literally. They can't do this. Our married people are far more fearful than our single people. <laughs> but what does a sex pledge have to do with Christian faith? Sex is really about more than intercourse. That's what we're trying to tell people. In New Testament scripture, Jesus is fairly silent on the matter. But Pastor Worth found references that to him suggest Jesus disapproved of premarital sex and promoted sex in marriage. And five times in the book of Song of Songs, it says, don't awaken love before it's time. See, Worth believes you connect to God through lifelong commitment. I believe one of the main... You connect to God through a lifelong commitment? Apparently, um, sex gets you in touch with God. I had no idea. The reason is you give part of your heart away. So he tells his single followers to abstain no matter what. For some weird reason, Brad Pitt hops in your lap and says, I want to have sex now or never. What do you say? I would say no to that anyways. <laughs> Even cowboy Brad Pitt. No. Thelma and Louise. No. On the flip side, the pastor says married couples need daily intimacy to stay focused. And she'll, you know, ask me something and I'll be like, huh, what? Well, sex can't improve his hearing, but his pastor thinks it will make him more attentive. And he says better husbands make better Christians. So there you got it. It's the uh, 30-day sex challenge. Now, that was uh, that kicked off in the first part of February of this year. And uh, which kind of, you know, would, ended up sparking, uh, let's just say, um, copycats. Is that the best way to talk? Is that? Yeah. Because later in the year, we had, you know, back in November, we have Ed Young who made the uh, the national news, uh, you know, was on just about every national news channel uh, talking about his seven-day sex challenge. You know, he, he cut it from 30 to seven, and he sounded like such an innovator. But Pastor in Dallas has issued the married couples in his congregation an unusual challenge to have sex for seven days. If you're married, I'm going to challenge you. I can't make you, but I'm going to challenge you to have sex with your spouse for seven straight days, beginning next Sunday. <laughs> Joining us from Dallas, Ed Young, Senior Pastor at Fellowship Church. Good morning. Good morning, Julie. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Why this challenge? What is the goal here? Well, the goal is for the church to talk about sex because, after all, God is the one who invented sex, and he tells us to do it, but he says to do it in marriage. And sex is really the super glue, Julie. I believe it's, it's a real reflection of how the marriage is going. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could get 20,000 people 
having sex for seven straight days. And I think some of the issues that you have to deal with prior to going to bed together, that, that's going to be the real take-home from this uh, sex experiment that we're doing. We heard some laughter in the crowd. What has the reaction be, been from the congregants and the community there? You know, it's been overwhelmingly positive because so many people are whining during the economy. I thought about how do we change whining into whoopee. And we, we had people, we had... Yeah, this is a pastor. Again, this is all just highlights from 2008. Guys who were texting their friends during the sermon, they were like, man, you've got to be here next week. You won't believe what's going to happen. So it's, it's been great. We, we've had a few people to go, man, I wonder why you're doing this. Or that's kind of odd, you know, talking of, about making love in church. But again, I think the church has allowed the culture to hijack sex from the church. And it's time that we move the bed back in church and put God back in the bed. And, and I, I think we are the real sex experts because after all, we're made in God's image and, and he's the one who wants us to do it his way. Okay, so there we go. We've got uh, Paul Worth, the, uh, obviously at the apex of this entire sex challenge thing. And now we've got copycats. I can't wait to see what happens in 2009. Because here's the deal is one of the rules of marketing is, is that you kind of have to get more salacious in order to get people's attention. You got to kind of outdo yourself. And so I can't wait to see what churches, you know, want to get national attention in 2009 using sex. I mean, cause uh, sex challenges, that's so 2008, you know, <laughs> okay. And what's funny about this is that, uh, is that there are there are other churches who kind of head off in the same direction. This is some audio from a uh, a a sermon promo from Mount Lake Mountain Lake Church in Cummings, Georgia, and uh, this is about Naked Church. You know, listen. This is for their naked. This is a promo for their Naked Church sermon series. Sign comes down. It says Naked Church. So. Here we go. You guys know the story. A man, a woman, a snake, a bite of tasty fruit, a broken rule, and then the subsequent fig leaves. You guys remember the fig leaves, don't you? Adam and Eve use them to cover, disguise their naked bodies, almost as if to say, you know, hey God, you can see me, but you are no longer going to see all of me. You see, Adam and Eve realized that they were naked, and there is just something about being naked. The vulnerability, the total exposure, nakedness is just a great leveler. Well, so what? Why in the world are we? I, I disagree. I, I, you know, it is nakedness is not a great leveler. If you put me naked in the same room as Brad Pitt, um, that's not a leveler. <laughs> in fact, can you say inferiority complex? Anyway, even talking about this, what does being naked have to do with you, with me, or even more importantly, the church? Well, it has a lot to do with it. See, we believe that God has called us to be, well, a naked church. Now, before you grab your coat. <laughs> Again, I should have said these were lowlights rather than highlights. This, this is, these are samples of just how bad things are as far as the state of the church in America. And, and Mountain Lake Church in Cumming, Georgia is ground zero for the church planter movement. In, in the South, the, the Mountain Lake Church is the one that uh, put Tad Grandstaff into uh, in, 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 into the pulpit. They're the ones who got uh, oh yeah, there's they had 
Stephen Furtick come and speak at the Evolve Conference. I mean, and this is what the church is evolving into, some really tacky and bad marketing ploys. Because, you know, how do you get unbelievers to come to church? Well, <laughs> naked church, that'll get them in. And go running out of the building? Well, let me explain. See, we believe that God's original plan didn't include the fig leaves. And we've used more than our fair share of fig leaves to cover up more than just our bodies. We use them to cover up our hearts, our hurts, and our souls. We use them not only to hide from God, but we've used them to hide from other people. But not anymore. We're here to start a movement. We're here to get naked. Start uncovering the coverings. I guarantee you, if I showed up at church naked, it would I'd I'd be arrested, and there would be people fleeing the building. <sighs> so I mean, isn't that a great idea, John? Come to church naked, naked church. No, no. <laughs> <sighs> well, and see, here's the deal. Okay, the, the, that's just another example of just some of the lowlights that are that happened in 2008 in American Christianity. Here's another one that we picked up on, and uh, this was uh, the. Uh, this is from a church called the Oaks Fellowship. This this is the church that did the Theologians for Your Noggins sermon. That, I, I can't play that again. It just grates on me that bad. But this is a sermon that they did. Um, uh, on, the, the sermon series was called Real Life, and it's based on the reality TV shows Fear Factor, Dancing with the Stars, The Amazing Race, and The Biggest Loser. Hey, hey listen to this promo. I'm so excited about our new sermon series starting today. It's entitled Real Life, where we're going to take a look at some of your favorite reality TV shows and see how it fits in with what God says about our lives. You know, we're going to be looking in the next few weeks at Fear Factor, Dancing with the Stars, uh, The Amazing Race, and The Biggest Loser. And so it's going to be amazing. You don't want to miss it. You were born with purpose, everybody. I want you to know that. You were born with a God-sized dream. Yeah, isn't that funny? That you know what you know where he got this from? Rick Warren, the purpose-driven life, the purpose-driven church. Isn't doesn't this sound a lot like what we heard Tad Grandstaff say yesterday about you know God has these you know has basically greatness involved for you? You know what is it with these purpose-driven churches? You know anyway, let's continue for your life. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared you in advance to do. You need to know that. Because some of you today may think, man, I don't have a dream. I don't have a vision. There isn't something big God has for me. I want you to know there is. And probably the reason why you're feeling that there isn't is because you're living in real life. And real life problems and real life issues and real life circumstances seem to weigh down the God-sized dreams and purposes He meant for us to have. We're going to talk about that in this series. And I want you to know you are awesome and God made you for greatness. And we want to help you to overcome your fear and the stumbling blocks and the things of life that keep holding you back. Right now, our first episode of Real Life, Fear Factor. So there's the promo for the Real Life Sermon Series. Because uh, God's designed you for greatness and they're going to spy, they're going to mine... These spiritual lessons of fear factor, dancing with the stars, the amazing race, and the biggest loser. What happens if you don't watch these shows? Do you have to get 
I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, see, what would they do for nerds like me? We need like the History Channel sermon series for me, right? Oh yeah. Okay, you know, and and a little Discovery Channel too. You know, just kind of a you know, <sighs> maybe some PBS. You know, how about the Civil War um, sermon series? Because you know, I, I liked Ken Burns' you know Civil War series. In fact, I love that. It's great stuff. All right, moving along. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Here's some more lowlights. Here's Catherine, Catherine Jeffords Shorey on the issue of homosexuality. Let's see what she had to say uh, on this uh, interview that she did with PBS. Here we go. And in the eyes of God, religion says homosexuality is a sin in the eyes of God. Can those two perceptions ever be reconciled? How do we come to a conclusion that it's a sin in the eyes of God? What what texts do we read that? There's Bible texts that say that, Catherine Jeffords Shorey, the female bishop of the Anglican Communion. And by the way, the conservatives are pretty much leaving the Anglican Communion right now. Good for them. Anyway. Say that it is. Well, I would have them go back to the very sources they find so black and white about that and ask, what's the context of this passage? What was it written to address? Um, What was going on underneath it? that this appears to speak to. And I think we find when we do some very serious scholarship that in almost every case it's speaking about a cultural context that looks nothing like the one in which we're wrestling with homosexuality today. Oh, so, you know, that means if we just understand the underlying cultural context, it's not really condemning homosexuality per se, just certain certain types of homosexual behavior. So how do you read... Uh, Jonathan and David, that story. I I think it's got some uh, challenging things to say to us who have said for hundreds of years, thousands of years, that it's inappropriate for two men to love each other in that way. Is this a moral issue to you? It's a moral issue in the sense that part of the job of the church is to help all Christians grow up into the full stature of Christ. It's to help all of us to lead holy lives. Moralism. The question is what... And she just redefines what's moral. Homosexuality, that's now... If, if you're in a committed monogamous homosexual relationship, that's now moral. What does that holy life look like? Well, many conservative, traditional Christians say that the homosexual life is not a holy life. They would say that it's only holy if it's celibate. And I think huh? we've got more examples out of scripture even to offer in challenge to that. So there we go. Another low light. The head of the Anglican communion in America here, um, or the, I'm sorry, she's Episcopalian, isn't she? Yeah. Pretty much the same thing. You know, just under a different name. They changed the name from Anglican to Episcopalian, I think right around the time of the uh, revolutionary war, because being tied to you know, Great Britain was not a popular thing about the time of the uh, the <clears throat> the rebellion against the British Empire. <clears throat> Here's a good one that we found on PBS too. Um, this is a gentleman who's going to be exegeting a nursery rhyme. Wait till you hear this one. This, I mean, this is so spiritually deep; it's absolutely unfathomable. Here we go. This is somebody on PBS spiritually exegeting row 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 your boat gently down the stream i'm not making this up (laughs) you know when i was uh raising my children and i'm still doing that 
one of my little girls, her name is Skye. And when she was just a baby, she would um, love to sit on my uh, stomach when we were in the swimming pool or in the, in the ocean. And she would just sit up there and she would love to sing. And when she would sit up on there, we would sing this song. And I would put my arms in the water and she would be sitting up there. She's a year old, year and a half old, and she would laugh. She was always full of laughter and beauty. And we'd sing this song. And I, as we'd sing the song, I remember going back into my uh, home and writing the words down because they seemed to me that some of the simplest things that we say to ourselves continuously often get repeated because there's such great wisdom in them. Like that quote I used earlier of Shakespeare's, to be or not to be, that is the question. It is the fundamental question that Emerson and Thoreau and Alcott and Hawthorne and Julia Ward Howe and all of these people who came here, Louisa May Alcott, so all of these people were asking these questions and asking people to look at their own lives and to find within them their own divinity and not be doubting that and finding fault with it. Yeah, find your own divinity within yourself. Isn't that great? And how are we going to do that? Well, let's continue. And as we would sing this song, I thought it had so much meaning. It had so much sense. And the song goes like this. Most of you know it. We would sing, row, row, <laughs> row. And as we would sing, row, 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 I would think that just means to me, just go out there into your life and be and work and do. Because when you're born... <laughs> Lee Gibran, the Lebanese poet, said, when you were born, your work is placed in your heart. There's something that you came here to do. There's no mistakes in this universe. The only mistakes are the mistakes that we have, that we are separate from the perfection into which we were created. Row, row, row your boat. I can't believe he's saying this with a straight face. I can't believe anybody. They're being fed complete garbage, and it's in a church. You know, they're, they're sitting in pews. I, I don't know if this is a unitary universalist thing going on here, but oh. don't row my boat. Don't row somebody else's boat. <laughs> don't try to row a boat that somebody else tells you you should be rowing. <laughs> row, live, work your own boat. And how do you row this boat? Always gently. Always gently. Always with love. Always with peace. Always with kindness. Row your boat that way. Row your boat gently down the stream. Don't row up the stream. It takes away all of your energy. And it'll just create a counterforce of frustration for you. Get in the stream of life. And row your boat gently down the stream with the currents of life, with the great creator, merrily, always with joy, always with cheerfulness, merrily, 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 merrily. And you know, Thoreau put it this way. He said, our truest life is when we are in our dreams awake. Because life 
is but a dream. Let's sing it together just for a minute. Together. Ready? Row. Okay, row. I can't do it. <laughs> so that's in Lewis scripture. Uh, yeah. that's. Uh, and he quotes throughout, but he doesn't <laughs> quote any scripture. No, he doesn't. Um, but boy, wasn't that just spiritually deep, man? <laughs> Oh, that was awful. Uh, <laughs> that was awful. I want to. I want to spiritually exegete. Um, uh, Jack be nimble. <laughs> Jack be quick. Jack jump over the candlestick. I want to go to the church where they have ESPN going on Sundays. You see, you would do well in baseball church. Yeah. You know. <laughs> we shouldn't laugh. That's probably coming. <laughs> oh man. So I mean, these, these. This is just the beginnings of the low lights. Um, <laughs> oh, that was awful. Oh, hey, we, we're just, this this show is just getting started, man. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, what we're going to do is we're going to take our first break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking about you know giving you samples of you know basically the lowlights, the spiritual lowlights of American Christianity, American religion in, for two thousand and eight, and again, promising to be just all kinds of fun. Um, if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible.
All right, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith, and we're doing our year in review, 2008. The lowlights of just how off the rails American spirituality, American Christianity, American religion, whatever you want to call it, has gone. These are all examples of things from the year 2008, or stuff that we've found during 2008. Now, this one doesn't have any audio, but um, back in July, I actually found a... uh, an eBay listing. There was a pastor and his family for sale on a, on eBay, and uh, <laughs> I kid you not, it uh, at at the time I I I actually took a screenshot of it and have a copy of it at the Museum of Idolatry. If you go back to the archives at a little eleven dot com, go into July, you can find uh, the eBay photograph of uh, Pastor Chad Smith selling himself and his family on eBay, and it says are, are, you are looking at are bidding on a very contemporary out-of-the-box pastor, and as you can tell by his pictures, he preaches and teaches in a very unorthodox manner. He does it without compromising the true written word of God, and and he and his family have chosen to go this route of putting themselves on the market in the hopes to find a church that is untraditional and is ready to reach their community. Why? Because apparently if you've got a traditional church, you just ain't reaching your community. That's the assumption, right? So the way you've got to do it is by preaching sermons on Mountain Dew because that's got pictures of him preaching on a Mountain Dew sermon. So he put himself up for sale, him and his family on eBay. And uh, somebody in the comment section asked, said basically, I, we don't want him, but how much for the wife and kids? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, things, you know, because you got to be relevant. And talk about relevant. Uh, remember the, uh, the uh, we got some relevant uh, stuff here. here. Here we got the Christian version of Lean Like a Cholo. All up in the church. Let me teach you how you're supposed to act like a Christian. You see, when you ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, then there's a different way that you're supposed to live. Like a Christian. Elbows out, hands up high. Elbows out, out, hands up high. Elbows out, hands up high. Elbows out, hands up high. Like a Christian. All up in the church. We on time. Looking for a few people for game time. I need a couple big boys so we can win. Who's ready to game us new? Man, that's a saying, okay. I like you. I like you, but I don't like him. We play some crazy games on Wednesday night. Then on Thursday morning, we get ready to go back to the high school. That's where we can live a holy week. Will we act like a Christian, like a Jesus freak? Or will we hide who we really are and be ashamed of the Savior who gave us all? Like this and like that. Nailed to a cross while all the guards bat on his face. And made fun of him, treating him real nasty like he was a elbows out, hands up high. Okay, done. <laughs> yeah, because because you know, that's just so relevant. Elbows up, hands up, high. like a Christian, more like a Pentecostal. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't stop there. Now, remember during the uh, the election? I mean, there were some people who were out there saying that Obama's the Messiah and Obama is God. We covered that in depth, but uh, here was one particular song that I thought was worth interesting you know, to take a look at, just how bad things are. This is Obama Be Thy Name. Roots come. Kenya. I have a dream. I have a dream that one day this All the voters in America, Barack Obama be thy name. Thy change shall come, thy will be done, as it is in American dream. Sing again, all the voters on America. Obama be thy name. 
creep me out. And there were people in America who were, you know, at the time of the election were, yeah, I got photographs, you know, from the media where they, there was religious undertones to everything that this guy was doing. Believe in Obama, have faith in Obama. Obama is God was uh, one of the pictures that appeared on his blog site. Obama be thy name. And this went both ways. I mean, both parties had some pretty far out stuff. Yeah, they they did. But this one this one, you know, was out there. I mean, you had McCain kind of, you know, picking up on this and making fun of the fact that, you know, he was the one. You know, but it, it definitely we my question still is, have we elected a god king? You know, Obama be thy name? Well, we'll find out. Um <laughs> And then who can re, who could forget this little bit of very important and relevant stuff? It's the High School Musical 3 Bible study. Hey youth pastors, I'm Casey Stroke from High School Musical. So, Friday, October 24th is a big day because that's when High School Musical 3 senior year opens in theaters nationwide. What's more, Kurt Johnson, the youth pastor at Saddleback Church, and our friends at Simply Youth Ministry have teamed up to create resource materials tied into the themes in the movies. So you can see High School Musical 3 with your youth group opening weekend and then be ready for a meaningful discussion on Sunday morning. The best part? It's all free. So go to www.wildcatsweekend.com and start planning your youth group's Wildcat Weekend soon. See you soon. Yeah. Because, you know, we can't just you, – we can't expect teenagers to come to, uh, to church and actually read the Bible. So what we're going to do is we're going to have the High School Musical 3 Bible study because that's just oh so relevant. And by the way, we reviewed this back at the end of October. We reviewed this. If you want to go back to Fighting for the Faith and look in our archives, you can. Um, and uh, the Bible study, let's just say that it left a lot to be desire, desired as far as Bible studies are concerned. It, you can definitely detect Rick Warren's influence upon uh, upon the folks over at Doug Fields at Simply Youth Ministry, you know, based upon their <clears throat> scripture twisting. And who can forget this one? We, we, we make fun of... Uh, of uh, Bill Sheard from Guts Church. We call him Pastor Rex Quando because he, yeah, yeah, bow to your pastor. (laughs) Here's Bill Sheard claiming that he's not a sinner. Praise that we're always sinners. Even if we we give our life to God, I'm not a sinner. If you'll ask me, you'll say, hey, Sheard, are you a sinner? No. And I'll tell you quite simply why I'm not a sinner is because the Bible says God doesn't hear the sinner. Well, I'm telling you, God hears me. And you know what he does? He responds to my requests. Man, he he takes he sits up on that throne and takes notice when I put a demand on his will. Who's God there? Uh, I think that would be Bill Shear, the non-sinner. When he makes a demand on his on God's will, God stands up and takes notice, man, because he's not a sinner. Oh man, who could forget that? Oh, there's all kinds of stuff here. Hey, you know, I don't think I want to do that one. Hang on a second here. Oh. What another good song from from 2008? My son hates this one. You ready? This is such a good one. Have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend. Now, this wasn't actually recorded in 2008, but it went viral on YouTube in 2008 because it's such a catchy little tune. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. He 
taught me how to live my life as it should be. He taught me how to turn my cheek when people laugh at me. I've had friends before, and I can tell you that he's one who will never leave you flat. Bum, bum. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Ah, uh, yeah. Nothing like a good viral video. <laughs> And, and if every God whispers, they end with that now. So, uh, are, do they really? Every one. Of oh them. man, shame on them! <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I'm waiting for somebody to make that into a ringtone. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Some, some, somebody probably has somewhere. Now, you know, now, talking about the emergent church, we'll kind of veer into the emergent church movement here from 2008. Here we've got Brian McLaren. Um, uh, basically attacking the doctrine of hell and the substitutionary atonement. Here's Brian McLaren on a on the um, the Deep Purple podcast. Here we go. You're gonna love this. So this is one of the huge problems with the um, the traditional understanding of hell, because if the cross is in line with Jesus' teaching, then and. I won't say the only, and I certainly won't say the, uh, or even the primary, but a primary meaning of the cross is that the kingdom of God doesn't come like the kingdoms of this world by inflicting violence and coercing people, but that the kingdom of God comes through suffering and willing voluntary sacrifice, right? Mm -hmm. But in an ironic way, the doctrine of hell basically says no, but that's not really true. Yeah. At, at, at the end, God gets his way through coercion and violence and intimidation and uh, domination, just like every other kingdom does. The cross isn't the center then. The cross is almost a distraction and false advertising for God. <laughs> oh, Brian, that was just so beautifully said. I, I was tempted to get on my soapbox there. And, and you know, because as you and I know, there are so many illustrations and examples you could give that show why the traditional view of, of hell completely falls in the face of uh, goes, it's just antithetical to the cross yeah. um, and to, but the way you put it there. so the traditional view of hell is antithetical to the cross despite the fact that Jesus said when he comes in his glory he's going to separate, separate people like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats right so apparently the cross their understanding of it is not compatible with hell there. Uh, I, I love that I mean it's, it's false advertising um, and here Jesus is saying, uh, turn the other cheek, love your enemy, forgive seven times 70, um, return violence with self-sacrificial love. But if we believe the traditional view of hell, it's like, well, do that for a short amount of time because eventually God's going to get him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I heard one well-known Christian leader who I won't mention his name just to protect his reputation because some people would use this against him. But... I heard him say it like this. The traditional understanding says that God asks of us something God is incapable of himself. God asks us to forgive people, but God is incapable of forgiving. Uh, God can't forgive unless he punishes somebody in place of the person he was going to forgive. God, God doesn't say to, to you, um, forgive your wife and then go kick the dog to vent your anger. You know? mm -hmm. yeah. um, God asks you to actually forgive. Uh, and there's a certain sense that a, a common understanding of the atonement presents a God who's incapable of forgiving unless he kicks somebody else. Uh, forget the fact that Jesus was God in human flesh and uh, his death on the cross. Basically, we owe a debt to God. God has there's God is loving and he's just and forget the forget all that. I mean, 
So you got McLaren and his and his people uh, basically attacking hell and uh, <sighs> yeah, and of course you know the the emergent churches here they you know in order to help them be able to support their bizarre doctrines their their non biblical scriptures they've actually come up with their own Bible remember that the voice. Here it is, beautiful, sensitive, balanced. The Voice, a new Bible translation from Thomas Nelson and Ecclesia Bible Society, is a unique project bringing together scholars, writers, musicians, and other artists. From uh, you know the, the time of even my undergrad studies, I realized that part of what we had done in Bible translation and not allowing the poetry and the narrative to really be celebrated. In fact, we do just the opposite. We even hand it and, and lose a great deal that it didn't, it wasn't right. And uh, so I had a dream to say, what, what if we had the very best poets? What if we got the best fiction writers we could find <laughs> and we teamed them up with great scholars that had expertise in those unique books? You mean emergent scholars who are trying to reimagine and, and undo historic Christianity? And we not only got the meaning right, but we had... A no, they didn't even get close to getting the meaning right. This, this thing is all over the place. Tremendous amount of beauty and poetry uh, to it. The Ecclesia Bible Society has pulled together many of those people, David is primary among them, and saying, how do we do this? And ultimately, part of the Bible Society's mission is, is to say, we want more people to be familiar with the whole story of God. We're, we're trying to reflect that, that, that the, the Bible, in a way, is a collection of literary artifacts. It's like an art gallery of poetry and parable and proverb and story. And uh, so hopefully people get a feel for what this rich, multifaceted uh, resource is. The voice is a dynamic translation. It's not really a translation at all. That brings the biblical narrative to life. No, it doesn't. Reading the voice changed reading the Bible for me. So there you go. You got the emergent church now. They've got their own Bible, just like the Jehovah's Witnesses do. It's called the voice. And, uh, and who could forget uh, emergent uber guru uh, Rob Bell? Uh, at the Seeds of Compassion event in April, where he shared the stage with the Dalai Lama, where he's <laughs> Archbishop, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. I mean, it, it, let's 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 relive some of these little highlights and the questions that he was asked. Um, so there was a kid who asked uh, Rob Bell, "What can I do?" So that I won't be so hard on myself when I make, uh, when I make a mistake. Well, um, let's hear what Rob Bell had to say about that. You know, in America, we grade people uh, for their work. Uh, you've done very uh, excellent job this week in um, keeping your anger in a transforming state, uh, turning it into compassion. So we give you an A. And as His Holiness said, it's not always success that we meet. So, um, Josh from Seattle has a question about this when we fail. Now, the reason I play this is because uh, this kid's going to ask a question about what what to do when you fail. The, this is right in Christianity's strength. Why? Because Christianity doesn't offer a do-it-yourself religion. It offers forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But let's see if Rob Bell, emergent uber guru pastor and uh, of Mars Hill Bible Church, let's see if he offered the gospel here to this kid. How can uh, 
you or an individual learn to not be so hard on yourself? And what I mean by that is how do you learn to redeem yourself for a mistake or something like you're doing all these compassionate acts and you have one slip up, how can you learn to overcome? Okay, now, again, this is right in Christianity's wheelhouse. The answer is you can't redeem yourself. Christ has redeemed you. That's the answer, right? The cross. Jesus Christ. I, I chose to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified, right? Here we go. Here's Rob Bell's answer. Okay, Josh, I lost the second part of your question, so maybe you can um, say it just a little slower. I know the first part is how do you learn not to be so hard on yourself? The second part? Um, what I meant... Great. That's better. <laughs> what I meant by that was uh, that how, if you make one mistake, how do you learn to overcome that inside and continue being a compassionate person? Oh, okay. Thanks, Josh. I, yes. I'd love to hear your perspective. I, th I think that many people uh, are pick up along the way that life is about destination. So they're taught it's about arriving. It's about having all the answers. It's about creating a nice box that you sit in and defend. But my fundamental understanding is that life is journey. And journey is a fundamentally different way to understand life than destination. Yeah. And on a journey, all I have, am responsible for is the next step. And that's all I'm ever asked for is the next step. Huh. I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to defend it all. I don't have to have it all nailed down. And if you can shift from destination understanding to and to, to journey, yep. it frees you to take life as it comes, let it be what it is, and then do the next right thing. Hey, Rob, thank you so much. Did you hear the gospel in that? No. No. Neither did I. And that, that's one of the reasons why I, I really took him to task. And what did he do? You know, he, he called me a dog. Yeah, it didn't even have sin in that. No, it didn't. It, no sin. And basically, stop thinking of it as destination and start thinking of his journey. And then the only thing you're responsible for is the next step. Where's the cross? He, the kid is talking about the fact that he's made a mistake. That and he asks, how does he redeem himself? How you know what? And, and the Christian answer is so clear. When you make a mistake, it's more than a mistake. It's a sin. And the reason why you sin is because you are sinful to the core. You are sinful by nature and you can't redeem yourself. And no amount of good works or good next steps or however you perceive it is going to make things better. You need to repent and trust Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Because that's what Christ came for, was to forgive you of your sins by dying on the cross for your sins. And that was mysteriously missing from pastor, Christian pastor, Rob Bell's appearance at the Seeds of Compassion event. No, no benediction there at all. None. None. So, unfortunately, uh, Jesus Christ wasn't represented at this multi-faith event. And uh, and who can forget Miracle Manna? This is this made the rounds this year on the TV shows. Here, here's a uh, infomercial for Miracle Manna. Call for this biblical point of contact and get into position to receive God's best for you and your loved ones. This woman received a $28,000 money miracle because she ate Miracle Manna. I received one check for over $50,000. She got a $50,000 miracle from eating Miracle Manna. Whatever he say, do, do it. With every bite from this heavenly cake, you'll feel empowered and encouraged to move into all that God has for you. Take the first step to a new life. 
Call the number on your screen and get your free packet of the Miracle Manna Bread today. There you go. Call and get get your, get your Miracle Manna so that you can have a $50,000 money miracle, right? Or how about um, how about Mike Murdoch saying that you know a $58 seed... If you sow a $58 seed, it could save your marriage. Here we go. Here's Mike Murdoch from, uh, from his infomercials that uh, make the rounds in the Still middle of the commentary, day. volume two, also 52 topics, because I want to rush that to you. Call now. I want to tell you what Lucretia wrote me. Oh, it's incredible. Karen wrote me <laughs> from uh, Indiana or Tennessee on she said, your office has deposited my seed faith offering of $58 into your ministry account. Within two weeks, my husband received an unexpected bonus at $15,000. My mom and dad, Linda wrote me, my mom and dad signed me up as a Wisdom Key 3000 partner two months ago. Mom called two days ago shouting on the phone. The hospital had called and said their bill was wiped clean until that day, which amounted to about $6,000. Tommy and Donna wrote me from Georgia. And said, since we began the $58 a month seed sowing, my wife and I purchased a house for $10,000 that is valued at $45,000. Uh, Harvard wrote me from Norway and said, I saw you first on Benny Hinn's program where you challenged me to sow a $58 seed. I sowed it for a brand new boat and within 90 days... I got it. <laughs> wow, $58 for a new boat? <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Casey and Tara, thank you. Oh, this is incredible. Incredible. Off. Boy, what testimonies. Testimonies. Grace wrote me from Ohio. I planted a $58 seed for my handicapped son. I did not have enough money to take care of him. So he ended up getting placed in a group home. I focused the seed to bring him back. Exactly 58 days later... I found out that the money which was going to him for the group home can be sent to me if I bring him home. It is an extensive amount, which means I do not have to work and will have the money to take care of his physical needs. Listen to this. By the way, if you are going through a divorce or a marriage problem, I'd like to see you sow your first $58 seed for a harvest in your home. See that? Are you struggling with your with your marriage? Send Mike Murdoch a $58 seed offering. Put it into his account, and it could save your marriage. I know you may need a financial breakthrough, but I think a happy home is more important than a new car. Call now. Call now. Quickly, call now. Go to the telephone and simply say, I'm one of the 3,000. This is not for everybody. It shouldn't be for anybody. But see, there we go. Another example of... Just how bad things are in 2008. And, of course, in 2008, we got Paula White during uh, Easter time uh, talking. <laughs> this is her and uh, Larry Huck. This is like really well-dressed carnies. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So here's Paula White and uh, and uh, Larry Huck stir talking during during Easter time about, you know, Jesus and uh, boy, these these are great here during the time of the crucifixion. Your victory is secured by knowing your place, position, and possession bought for you at Calvary's cross. Once again, here's Paula and Pastor Larry Huck with more on the seven places Jesus shed his blood. Yeah, see, see did you know that Jesus shed his blood in seven different places? 
you know, I'm sure he skinned his knees somewhere along the line, too. He might have shed his blood, you know, while he was doing some carpentry. You better get up and call the toll-free number. Seven places Jesus shed his blood. If you want dominion, you want authority, you want to break the spirit of poverty, sickness, disease, generational curse, and what God really did for you on Calvary, my CDs and teaching, along with Dr. Larry Huggs, five CDs, in-depth teaching with the book that goes in detail about the seven places that Jesus shed his blood to give you victory, which means you're a conqueror, you're an overcomer in all things. Go to the website, write the P box or call the toll-free number for your ministry gift of $35 or more. Now, I'm going to give these quickly because we've got to get through them, and really people need the product. That's they the bottom really, line. They need the product, yeah. You, you can't get it, in, you just can't get it in one setting because when you begin, Paula, it, it's the truth that'll come and set you free. Right. The truth you understand. They've got to get the product. And, and when we look and we give this bookmark too, Jesus, number four is Jesus' hands are pierced by the nails to restore total dominion to the works of your hands. Fifth place, Jesus' feet were nailed to the cross to restore total dominion in your walk. Number six, uh-huh. the spear was thrust through Jesus' side, showing that he died from a broken heart to heal my broken Absolutely. heart. And we're going to go there. And number seven, Jesus bled on the inside when he was bruised to break every iniquity which is those repeated sins. Notice that there isn't a single passage of Scripture that actually bears out these interpretations. They're just making stuff up. And what did she say? you got to buy the product. It's all about moving product. Of your forefathers, it's, the, it's really learned behavior. In, in when we really begin to understand that, that, that when Jesus Christ paid the price, the first thing that happened after he said it is finished is the veil was rent from top to bottom, signifying that no man could do that. But the price that was paid was there's now no separation. So that we have direct access in the Holy of Holies. We understand, according to Hebrews, that Jesus is our high priest. Absolutely. And he's the first of many brethren which means I now come into a priestly anointing. So I now can... Say that again because now, they don't get it. I now come into a priestly anointing. Jesus is not the only begotten on. Son of God. He is not. I'm a Son of He's God. He's the first fruit. You, uh-huh, the there you go. Jesus is not the only begotten Son of God. He's the first fruit. In case you missed it, I'll play it again. He's the first fruit. He's the firstborn of many. Jesus is not the only begotten on. Son of God. He is not. I'm a Son of He's God. The first Bible says we're to come boldly before the throne, the throne of, God. of God. And I can come boldly, not double-minded. I can come boldly because he's not only forgiven me of my sin, but he's healed my broken heart. He's healed the pain of my sin. So the blood of Jesus, that curtain was ripped open, you said, and I can come boldly before the... Jesus said, don't pray to me. Mm-hmm. I'll not go to the Father for you. You go to the Father. Because- so don't pray to Jesus and he's not the only begotten Son of God and purchase this product to find the seven places where Jesus... Bled for you. Because that curtain is open and my blood has atoned for you. Go on in. The water's fine. Jesus said, don't pray to me. Jesus said, don't pray to me. We've never missed our tithe. Tis right. I have... So that, again, some lowlights from 2008. That was right around Easter time. Uh, Pastrix, Paula White, uh, and Larry Huckster um, selling product that uh, is just chock full of heresy. And uh, denying very cardinal doctrines that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, denying that you should pray to Jesus Christ, amazing. It reminds me of those, um, I guess at the turn of the century, the guys that would go around in, in, the, in the covered wagons. Oh, 
this will cure anything. Exactly. Exactly. You buy this, this will cure anything. That's right. You know, you, you're suffering from bad vision. This will fix that. You know, you got a you got a weak libido. That'll fix this too. You know. Ugh. Anyway, so <laughs> we're gonna take our second break. When. <laughs> Oh, man. When we come back, we're going to continue with lowlights from 2008, the spiritual state of America and the Christian church in 2008. And believe me, 2009 is going to be even worse than this. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far, you can do so at talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. We will be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Fighting for the Faith is underwritten in part by LifeLock. Did you know that identity theft is a $50 billion a year business? And the severe downturn in the economy is providing identity thieves with even more incentives to hijack your identity and destroy your good name. But LifeLock provides a proactive identity theft service specializing in the prevention of identity theft rather than the reporting of it. LifeLock was founded in 2005 and is already considered the industry leader in identity theft prevention. In fact, LifeLock CEO Todd Davis is so confident in LifeLock's ability to protect your good name and stop identity thieves dead in their tracks that he freely shares his social security number on television, radio, and the internet. Furthermore, LifeLock guarantees its services up to $1 million. For more information on LifeLock, visit FightingForTheFaith.com and click on the LifeLock logo on our homepage. All right, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith, December 31st, 2008. Our year in review of the dismal state of Christianity, religion in America. Well, these are the highlights of the lowlights. These are the highlights of the lowlights. Our year in review. Highlights of the lowlights. I think this will become a, an annual event for us, I hope. Anyway, oh man. Now, who could forget that in 2008, that was the year that we had the so-called outpouring in Florida, the Florida outpouring with Todd Bentley at the helm, uh, basically claiming that uh, he was having uh, direct encounters and conversations with Jesus Christ. And uh, who could forget stuff like this? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, I'm not going to heal her. Until you kick her in the hip. I said, God, this is violent. Kingdom of heaven suffers violent. The violent take up a bait. I said, God, you really want me to hit this woman? He said, I want you to hit her. 
I said, this ain't you, God. He said, remember A. Allen, Jack, Cole, Smith, Wiggleton? There were times. And I started thinking about all the stories of men and women that God had used in this way. And I heard the voice of God. Let me make it clear. I'm talking about I heard the voice of God. There's not something you do to show the world you have faith. So I looked at this woman and I wanted to play it safe because I was learning about these new ways that God was having me sometimes move in healing. So I stood back and I went, bam, like that, right in her hand. And she kind of went, oh. And I went, great, she's not healed, God. God said, because I told you to kick her. That was not a kick. So too many people get stuck in the method. I'm after the fruit. So I went, bam! And I hit her as hard as I could. Instantaneously received a brand new hip. <laughs> to lay hands on her, oh God, I pray for this woman to be healed. And just as I did, I heard the Lord say, slap her in the face. I said, God. He said, do it now. There was a door about six feet away, shut and locked. I hit the woman in the face. Bam! Power of God hit her so hard, she blew back six feet off the ground, hit the door, blew the door off the hinges, slid across the floor into the kitchen where women were preparing, you know, the potluck snack after the meeting. And the woman came sliding all the way into the kitchen and got up totally healed, spit in his eye. God's telling me to spit in his eye. How could that ever be God? How rude in today's society. I was in a meeting one time and I prayed for a blind woman two, three times and she didn't see. I said, God, you told me the blind would see. He said, you're doing it the wrong way. I said, God, I believe the blind see. I'm praying in faith for the blind to see. He said, that ain't faith. If you believed me, spit in her eye. I said, well now, God. 50,000 people watching me. So I backed up and I spit in the woman's eye. A little spittle. And she couldn't see. I said, God, I spit in her eye. He said, I told you to spit. True story. So I, 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 I. And I spit one on her face that dripped down her cheek. And immediately she received her eyesight, jumped up and down, screaming, the blind could see. Lord, I... <clears throat> Loads of fun, huh? Kicking the old woman in the hip and, you know, spitting in people. <laughs> you know, uh, hitting so hard that they flew across the room uh -huh. toward the hinges off the door. They kept on sliding. Yeah, yeah it kept on sliding, man. That was, that was, some, that was some kick, man. You know, special effects guys in Hollywood would would love that. Yeah, absolutely, and then then we got this claim. This is this is a fun one. Claim that he they they got. Now let, let me let me build your faith. Are you guys ready? Are you ready to hear the thirteenth resurrection of the dead? 
so while this was going on, they, they claimed that, uh, I mean, at least at this point, and, you know, the, and these this was on God TV, which was internationally aired. And there were people from all over the world coming to Lakeland, Florida to uh, experience the Florida outpouring via Todd Bentley. And he, here's his claim that 13th resurrection of the dead. Here we go. No, 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 no. Listen to me. I have in my hands the 13th testimony as a result of this outpouring of somebody raised from the dead. Now, for all of those watching and all of those in the arena, Wondering if Jesus really raised the dead and how come it's not been on the news? One, three stories have been on the news. Two, this week, I'll let you know when it happens, one of the largest secular news stations. Yeah, this news story actually proved that there was not one shred of evidence to support any of the claims of healing and resurrection, but he's all excited about it. It's about to launch worldwide a story on the revival in Lakeland. And, and, and you heard me call it out many weeks ago, but I can't tell you who. But I have received two phone calls today. From major celebrities and television networks in America that want to hear about what's happening in Lakeland. Now, this, this just so you know, this started off kind of in a small venue, and it, it got so huge. I mean, they had to get bigger and bigger and bigger venues, and there were people who were turned away every night. I mean, that shows you the deception and the gullibility that was going on here. And you heard me call one of them out. Where is, and I called that person out on the air and many others. And today I got two notifications that the producer for one show is calling and another major news network in America. If I said his name, you would all know who he is, is hearing about what's happening in Lakeland. And I'm saying to the media, the dead are being raised. Let me read it to you. Let me read it to you. Are you ready to hear the 13th story? Now, many of them we've been following up. We still haven't had a chance to verify this, that I can read it to you as I received it. Are you ready to hear it? My dear brother died. So the medical world thought yesterday. We requested at our all-night wake that God TV would be on. The revival would be on. At the funeral, they played the revival. And we declared that our brother would not be embalmed. At 2.19 
monster in his coffin. In his coffin. My brother sat up in the coffin praising God and Reverend Todd Bentley. Yeah, there we go. Another low light. And what happened to the whole Lakeland, Florida outpouring? Well, it fizzled out because it was discovered that he was having an affair with one of the gals on his staff. And uh, and so there's, you know, he's pretty much at this point, and he's unrepentant. That's the fun part about it is he's completely unrepentant. I mean, but, he, I mean, isn't the definition of marriage, you know, a relationship between a guy and a girl? So, you know, never mind. <sighs> and then who could per, per, who could forget Patricia King? Yeah, I'm so excited about uh, what we're going to bring to you in today's uh, video clip. Um, recently, we had Joshua Mills out at one of our Glory Explosion conferences in Phoenix, and this one evening, all of a sudden, this sapphire and diamond glitter started falling he gets an angel that comes to him i've actually felt the presence of that angel and it it releases the glory from heaven and you can see it tangibly i'm telling you tangibly all of a sudden he got covered his hands his clothes in his hair in his scalp with this blue sapphire and little flecks of diamond all over him there was on the floor around him as well afterwards in the speaker's room um we were having hospitality after and and a number of people saw this i didn't but he saw it and a number of people um saw it it was like this 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 big ball of it came in front of him just came in here and then all of a sudden got released over him and right in the next second i looked over and there he was so covered with his thick sapphire diamond glitter in fact um we had some of it in our bibles and some of it on our clothes i've got a blouse that i'll probably never wash because it's got the little bits of the sapphire and diamond on it still because i i hugged him we're just gonna hey yeah there we go so <clears throat> isn't that great i mean the glory fell in in such a tangible way that i mean that there was s sapphire glitter right there's no audio on this, but I'll I'll read the highlights on this. Granger Community Church, which is the sixth most influential church in America, is one of the premier purpose-driven churches. They they did that reveal study, and uh, and you know basically, uh, Granger Community Church is is one of the major churches out there that's promoting the seeker-sensitive, purpose-driven approach to doing church. And they did a qualitative study rather than a quantitative. You know, quantitative basically has to do with numbers. And how, how do we know that God's blessing purpose-driven churches? Well, because look at how many people are coming, right? So they actually had the guts to do the reveal study to take a look and see if qualitatively, if there was any depth to the people that were coming. Here's some of the highlights of what their their reveal study revealed. 47% uh, of the people at Granger Community Church don't actually believe in salvation by grace. 47%, that's almost half, 47% of the people who attend Granger Community Church, they're not even Christians, okay? And um, here we go, 57% don't believe in the authority of the Bible. And 56% uh, don't believe Jesus is the only way of, to eternal life. And this is uh, people attending a church, Right? So that was uh, one of the highlights of 2008. But, and then who could forget the shack? 
Okay, the book, The Shack. That's right. You know, they advertised. Uh, you know, there was little button banners all over the internet advertising The Shack. It was it was the phenomena book of the. It was it went viral. It was just a little self published work. You know that he that uh, that uh, this guy had written for his his children. Right. And it went viral and he, he sold a bazillion of these things. And, you know, William P. Young now is everywhere. And it says God as you've never seen him before. And well, why does it, is it God as you've never seen him before? Well, because God the Father is a black woman named Papa. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a, a Japanese girl by the name of Surayu. And then, you know, Jesus is just Jesus. But, you know, so we've got this trinity where God the Father is a woman. Right. Who could forget that? Yeah. And that's. Um, and then, of course, we got the token, the Holy Ghost people. Hope you guys are doing well out there in <laughs> Internet land. I'm John Crowder. Uh, I'm Benjamin Dunn. And uh, we're here today to talk about drugs. <laughs> now, oh, Jesus. I am not a drug user. Nor have I been. I'm not either. Since I was supernaturally delivered from drugs in about 1995 A.B. <laughs> ben, you were a drug user at one point. I was a drug user. I uh, came from uh, living under the pier in a sandy beach with my now wife. And uh, lots of drugs were happening back then for me, but I was totally delivered, born again. Ugh, whacked up with the Holy Ghost. Mm. And that's really what we're here to talk to you about today, guys. Out in YouTube land. is about getting whacked up on the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you know, a lot of people, they've seen some wild and crazy videos featuring Ben here and myself. And some might even say irreverent. Some might even say that, you know, God is irreverent because God is a God of joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's right. Some even think it's irreverent that God himself would come in uh, human flesh. Uh, you know, that seems pretty irreverent that God would step down out of heaven in the likeness of sinful man and, uh, you know, be crucified, die and resurrect for us to, to save us and uh you know, I think that uh, that God has no problem putting the things of heaven, sacred things, into a language that we can understand. And out here in That's YouTube, right. out here in YouTube land, you know, uh, there's a there's a, a, a bit of a there's <laughs> a bit of a need for, for things to pop quickly in a language that people can understand it's difficult for us to talk about walking in the spirit uh having ecstasis encounters the ecstasies the trances of god like peter experienced in acts 10 like paul experienced in acts 22 the the supernatural infilling of the holy spirit that made people uh think the apostles were drunk in acts 2 song of solomon talking about drink your fill of lovers uh talking about a supernatural intoxication you know the psalms say that inebriating cup which which overwhelms me which it, it intoxicates me how goodly is it right. it's difficult to 
have a teaching like this to a, a generation that you know doesn't even want to crack the Bible because they've been force-fed religion their whole lives. And so one of the things we sometimes talk about is you know how God is the most high God, and there's no high like the most high. God has called us to live a lifestyle of holy intoxication. And so... <sighs> New new idea of sanctification there. Holy intoxication. Apparently that's what uh and uh, and then we got we got this that kinda goes along with the same crowd. Yeah, sure. Let me share one more thing. Can you hear me? I'm just doing my best here. At the end of the dream, this was the day before my birthday. They've got Dutch seats uh, exegeting a dream that he received. And it's going to be followed up with just a wonderful song, you know, from these people. Lord, at the end of the vision, he took me to a beach. And I said, what are we doing at this beach? And he said, we're going to take a break, party a little, have some fun. I said, Lord, we don't, we can't do that. There are more villages to go to, more people. We can't. We don't have time to stop. He said, oh, I got lots of other people that are going to go do it. You got to take a break. And my family was there. And he went off and played in the water with my daughters in the vision. And then he came back carrying a birthday cake. And I said, Lord, you got me a birthday cake. He said, yeah. I said, how'd you know it was my birthday? He said, well, I just kind of know things like that. And I said, it's carrot cake. Lord, it's my favorite cake. He said, yeah, I know. And he said, let's party a little. And I said, all right, cut the cake. And he said, cut the cake. We're not going to cut the cake. And he started grabbing handfuls of it and just passing it out to everybody. And it's gone. And then he says to me, my son, remember, you always want things really nice and neat and in order and everything in place. Just, and he said, just remember, I'm not always going to cut the cake. Tonight, he ain't cutting the cake. Yeah, see, because 2008 is marked with a... No need to actually preach from the scriptures anymore. We can just preach our dreams and uh, whatever God is directly telling us, like uh, Tad Grandstaff in yesterday's sermon review. But let's continue. He's just saying, party. Just party. Just enjoy me. Enjoy the river. Listen to this. Messes up, messes up in your presence, oh God. Messes up, messes up. In your presence, oh God, mess us up, mess us up. In your presence, oh God, mess us up, mess us up. Mess us up, mess us up. In your presence, oh God, mess us up, mess us up. Apparently, we now want God to mess us up. In your presence, oh God, mess us up, mess us up. In your presence, oh. That's Rick Pino, by the way. Mess us up, mess us up. In your presence, oh God, mess us up. And of course, you know, Rick Pino, he's the one who brought us the uh, Christianized version of You Spin Me Right Round. Um, here he is. Put a place of honor in our hearts for you, Lord. We know that we can't receive anything from anyone until we have honor in our hearts for them. So just like Moses, 
as a sign of honor, as a sign that you are removing the things that separate you from the holy place, I just invite you to kick off your shoes right now. Come on, everybody all over this place. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. Kick your shoes off in this place. And while you're down there, grab a couple socks. <laughs> Come on. Everybody going to grab something to spin. You guys ready? Adam, you guys ready? Go ahead, guys. Come on, put those things up. Spin your shoes, sock keys, I don't care. Everybody, you're not spinning anything. Come on, grab something. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. Let's sing this. You spin me right round, Jesus, right round, like a record, Jesus, right round, round, round. You spin me right round, Jesus, right round, like a record, Jesus, right round. Sing it out. Yeah, once again, proving that the folks from South Park are absolutely prophetic. Why? Because they did an entire episode on Christian, uh, on Christian rock and roll and basically had uh, one of their characters uh, become a famous Christian artist, and all he did was rip off uh, secular songs and change the word baby to Jesus, which is exactly what Rick Pino did here. Right, Rob. You spin me right round, Jesus, right round, like a record, Jesus, little bit louder. You spin me. Yeah. Apparently we don't sing about the holiness of God anymore. Or sing the great doctrines of the Christian faith and hymns. No, we just take songs written by transvestites and change the word baby to Jesus. And uh, and then, you know, who can forget the uh, how to share your faith using Paris Hilton's MTV's reality TV show, My New BFF. The Christian Post actually had an article and uh, we covered it here at Fighting for the Faith, uh, and it's how to share your faith using Paris Hilton's MTV reality show, My New BFF, because everybody knows of Paris Hilton that that show was really all about Christian spiritual values, right? And you can you can effectively share your faith if you are really in tune with sycophant Hollywood heiresses and, uh, and the people that they surround themselves with. And... Uh, of course, we've got some more that we could cover. We could talk about the whole Rick Warren angle. But before we get to Rick Warren, who could forget uh, Rob Bell's Lectio Divina, right? Now, rather than actually read it to you, we actually wrote a sketch, you know, for Marty Python's Flying Circus Church on Rob Bell's Lectio Divina. In fact, we're going to play that for you right now because in this satirical sketch, it actually um, has the... Uh, full text of of the Lectio Divina that's available for download at Rob Bell's church, Mars Hill Bible Church uh, on the internet. And so without any further ado, here's a, uh, here's a blast of the past. This is uh, Marty Python's Flying Circus Church on Rob Bell's Lectio Divina. It's... 
Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. Thank you for downloading Rob Bell's Lectio Divina. This is a resource made available by Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition, and in Lectio Divina we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or a group. Are you ready to begin? Yes, I guess I am. All right. Begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly, or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for and experience God and His presence. Um, I guess I'll go randomly then. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a scripture by its toe. If it's gospel, let it go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. If you need to find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. Okay, let's see. I've got my comfy chair and... Oh, no. What are you saying? You out there! I just want to experience the presence of God if you're using a jackhammer! Shut up! Don't feel sorry about that, ma'am. Yeah, you better be sorry! Next, when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of Scripture that you have selected. Don't move too quickly through any sentence or phrase, and as you read, pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. Okay, I don't know when I'm supposed to be ready. There's no, no, no kind of timer on me. Anyway, um, the passage of scripture. Judas hung him, himself. Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself? Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. Hung himself. Hung himself. Hung himself. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word, phrase, or idea? Suicide? What are you reminded of in your life? Um, an early death? What does it make you hope for? A different passage of scripture? Next, begin to speak to God. Tell God what word, phrase, or idea captured your attention and what came to mind as you meditated upon it. Lord, the phrase was... Judas... Hung himself. It's not a good feeling. How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? How should I know that? Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. I'm feeling depressed. Tell God how you hope this word, phrase, or idea will change your heart to be more like his. This is rubbish! A complete waste of my time. I could be out trimming the petunias or burying the cat or something. If I'm going to experience God, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. Just open the Bible and read it. Don't be so silly and modern. Everybody knows that you can't experience God that way. Well, there you have it. That was... Whoa. 
That was Marty Python's Flying Circus Church and the Lectio Divina. And why do we put that into the lowlights? Well, because apparently now we don't need to actually read the Bible. What we just need to do is randomly pick a passage of Scripture and then read it until some word pops out at you. And that's how you can experience the presence of God. Who invented the Lectio Divina? Well, mystic monks did. And why on earth have we gone back to monastic practices like this as if God promises that we, we can experience his presence if we do something as ludicrous as that? I mean, you know, we might as well be, you know, why don't we take some chicken feathers and glue them onto some crosses and then we can strip down naked and circle oak trees and, you know, s- singing the uh, the doxology and we can experience God that way, right? Maybe they do that at the naked church. You know, that's a good point. I should look that up on the internet. That would, and I hope they have heated seats. <laughs> Touche. Very nice. Very well done. <laughs> and of course, what? What? How could we not talk about Rick Warren here at Fighting for the Faith if we're going to be doing a low light show? of stuff that's wrong in American evangelicalism. And what we're going to focus on is uh, we I've got vi- audio from the video of Rick Warren's several appearances on national television programs over the course of 2008. And every time he he's appeared, he's had opportunities to preach the gospel, to preach Christ and him crucified, to actually exalt Christ and tell people about their sins and tell them about the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. And, uh, well, um, let's just say that each and every time... Um, what we got from Rick Warren was, uh, well, something else. Here's Rick Warren on the Colbert Report, and uh, this is, starts off our montage. It's buffering at the moment. My guest tonight is the author of The Purpose Driven Life, one of the best-selling books of all time. And get this, for some stupid reason, his purpose isn't even to make money. Please welcome Rick Warren. You ever notice that Colbert seems a little bit full of himself? (laughs) I just, he cracks me up. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good to see you. Reverend Pastor. Yeah, just Rick. Rick. All right. That's it. Let's get casual with each other. Just me and Rick. (laughs) Now, um, before we go any further, I just want to make clear the purpose of life does derive. You're basing this. On biblical truths, correct? Absolutely. Okay, let's explain to the kids out there that God does exist and God does love you because their image of God from the MTVs and the Nintendos is like some vengeful monkey who's throwing barrels at Super Mario. They don't know. They don't know who God is. Who's God, Rick? Well, God is creator, and he created the entire universe just so he could create this galaxy, just so he could create this planet, just so it tilted at the right axis so it wouldn't burn up or freeze up to sustain human life because he wanted to create human beings. He wanted to create you to love you. He loves even Stephen Colbert. Oh, I believe that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. See, the thing is, Colbert's reaction is exactly the reaction of any self-centered sinner. God loves me and he has great plans for me? You? Oh, wow, that's a God I can believe in. Nothing about nothing about sin, nothing about repentance, nothing about the forgiveness of sins. Nothing like that. <laughs> because he created me in his image, yeah. and I sure love me. <laughs> uh, 
Now, but that galaxy Earth thing, that sounds like the gospel according to Carl Sagan. I mean, <laughs> are you a fundamentalist preacher? No. You're not? No, fundamentalist is somebody who stops listening. No, that's actually not the definition of fundamentalist. We went over that a, a little while ago. It's the people who believe in the five fundamentals, like the unnegotiables of the Christian faith. And apparently Rick Warren doesn't uh, find himself in agreement on those. Uh -huh. There are fundamentalist Christians, there are fundamentalist Jews, there are fundamentalist Muslims, uh -huh. fundamentalist atheists, uh -huh. fundamentalist secularists. It's, it's an attitude that doesn't listen to anybody else. Well, I don't want to hear any of that. Yeah. What I want to hear <laughs> is that you say every word of the Bible is inerrant, though. Every word is the, that. It's inerrant. I do believe that. So, By the way, one of the five fundamentals there the inerrancy of scripture and but of course he's not a fundamentalist because fundamentalists are people who don't listen we should stone gay people <laughs> says so in leviticus we should do that who are your writers uh who are my writers <laughs> i've got none tonight except the inerrant word of god oh there you go <laughs> my writers i mean you've got a very fr you've got a very friendly god don't get me wrong yeah. you're the god you describe yeah. Is very friendly, very casual. Probably doesn't wear a tie either. <laughs> but your your God's a lot like Jimmy Buffett. He's very, very. He's Laid low back. key. He's low key. Paradise is Margaritaville. <laughs> um, wh why why do you think people respond? Is it because the God you describe is not vengeful? No, I, there's nothing in that book that it, historic Christianity hadn't said over two thousand years. Uh, mm -hmm. I just said it in a very simple way. It took me. Um, Actually, seven months, about 12 hours a day to write the book. And I spent uh, half the day just trying to make the sentences shorter. So if there's 17 cents a word, I'd say, how can you say it in nine? If there were nine words, I'd say, how can I say it in five? Einstein once said, if you can't say something uh, under, in a simple way, you, you don't really understand it. Well, that's so. funny. Uh, I wrote my book over the Columbus Day weekend by screaming it into a tape recorder. <laughs> Wow. I just had somebody transcribe wow. it. The, the, the sub-question of this book is, what on earth am I here for? What, what do you think the purpose of life is? Is that individual? Yeah. Or do you believe in something like the Baltimore Catechism, where we're here to know God, to love God, to serve God? Well, I Colbert, being a good Catholic, is rattling off the Baltimore Catechism. He's been catechized. Okay, <laughs> let's hear what, see if you hear the gospel here or not. I do believe that. Uh, one of the things that the Bible teaches is that this life's not all there is. You're going to spend more time on that side of eternity than on this side. Uh, you get 60, 80, maybe 100 years on this side. You're going to get trillions of years on that side. And this side is preparation for the next. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are things that, that we're going to do in heaven that God says I want you to practice here so you're not a doofus. <laughs> when you get there. So we've got to practice so that we don't look stupid. In law. law. Yeah. Got to do these things. Right. Apparently the first trillion years may, may not be considered practice time. Do you know which ones you're supposed to practice? Oh, because yeah. there are a lot of options yeah. out there of things you could be doing with your life. Like, what is yeah. the purpose of every day? Can, we, well, you, can you, I say what my purpose is? Like, no, you are my purpose is to shout at people who I disagree with. <laughs> am I living, am I living yeah, yeah, my purpose, Rick? Well, you know, when, when you be who God made you to be, that makes God smile. Yeah, same thing he said at the TED conference. When you be who God made you to be, that makes God smile. No, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if, it doesn't matter if you're living your purpose, whatever you, whatever you think your purpose is, you can't please God that way. You can only please God through Jesus Christ. I used to think that God only smiles when we're doing like spiritual stuff, confessing, going to church, reading mm -hmm. the Bible, things like that. But actually, uh, God gets enjoyment out of watching you be you. Uh, 
Uh, when my kids were little, I used to watch them. What about sin? And what about the fact that if you don't believe in Christ, then the wrath of God remains on you? From John chapter 3. Sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, their little chest would rise and lower and rise and lower. And I got so much pleasure out of that because I made them. I'm their daddy. And when you be who God made you to be, a doofus. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, Warren's sense of comedic timing is a little bit off. But when, when you be you, God looks down and goes, that's my boy. Well, let me ask you something. Really? So when you live a purpose-driven life and you be you, then God says, that's my boy. Is that the gospel? No. Okay, no, so here we, so we got Rick Warren here on the Colbert Report having a perfect opportunity to preach sin, repentance, Christ, and him crucified, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to a national audience. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you're doing what you be you. Yeah, apparently if you, it doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you be you, then God's smiling going, that's my boy. That's my boy that right there. I, uh, you know, And uh, really, okay. You know, thing is, is that we're by nature objects of wrath. We're by nature sinful and unclean. Um, so therefore, the things that we do, hmm, do they really please God? No, no. Okay. So there's uh, Rick Warren on the Colbert Report, and um, here's Rick Warren on the Hannity and Combs show from earlier in the year, talking about uh, what it is you need to do to get to heaven. Okay, this is, I mean, this is a no-brainer. I mean, you couldn't tee it up. This is this is a softball, underhand pitch, okay, given to somebody, you know, to any Christian, so they can hit it out of the park for the gospel, for Christ crucified for our sins. And uh, do you think Rick Warren, uh, when he was on the Hannity and Combs show and had the opportunity to preach the gospel and to say what it is you need to do to get to heaven is to believe in Jesus Christ? Do you think he did that? Well, let's find out. Here we go. Pastor Warren tells us how to get to heaven. And coming up, Pastor Rick Warren is here to tell us all how we can make it to heaven and also what you can expect when you get there. Here we go. Every day I get a choice. I can choose to go God's way or I can choose to go my own way and Satan's way. If I walk out this door... Or I walk at this door, I don't have anybody to blame but myself. It's my choice. And you think a lot of people will go that way? Oh, I'm certain they do, because the bottom line is, I want what I want, what I want. The bottom, people ask me, what's the greatest sin? Is it this or this? I'll tell you what the greatest sin is, wanting to be God. Pride. It's pride. I want my own way. And the basic, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to say, I give as much of myself as I understand Mm -hmm. to as much of Jesus Christ as I understand at that moment. So to be go to heaven, you have to give as much of yourself as you understand to as much of Jesus Christ as you understand at that moment. And then you get to go to heaven. And then you keep growing in it. And then keep growing in it. So there you go. What he needed was that guy that used to hold up the signs that say John 316. Yeah, that would have been a far better answer. So here we got Rick Warren on Hannity and Combs. The topic is... What do you need to do to go to heaven? And apparently the solution is give as much of yourself as you understand to as much of Jesus as you understand. It's what you have to do. And then keep growing in it. It's what you have to do. Do you know of any Bible passages that say that? (laughs) I can't even think of anything that's even remotely close. Okay. And who can forget? Well, there's the law ones. You know, there's the Ten Commandments. There's law. Right. Yeah. But you got to keep it perfectly if you want to be saved by the law. That's right. 
technically you can be saved by the law. You just have to keep it perfectly from the moment you're conceived to the moment that you die. And oh, and by the way, um, you, when you're conceived, you're actually conceived um, with with Adam's sin held against you. So you're actually conceived and born a sinner. But then again, who can forget this little tasty morsel from Rick Warren on uh, you know the Hannity and Combs show, where Rick Warren his big sales plug for for Christianity. He's being interviewed regarding the uh, purpose of Christmas, and he tells he tells uh, Combs, Alan Combs to uh, try Jesus Living. for sixty days because you know because that's how you. Hey, pastor, hang did you just second. say? Hang on a second here. Got to rewind this. Can't believe that happened. <clears throat> Do, 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 excuse me while we experience some slight technical difficulties. Here, God Here we go. has given us a gift in Jesus Christ. And people don't understand, it's for our benefit. One of the things that says, for unto you is born this day a Savior. And he said, well, I don't need a Savior. Well, believe me, if you didn't need one, God wouldn't have sent it. Because of it. He doesn't explain why we need a Savior. He just says, believe me. So we just got to believe him. If you, 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 The reason you need a Savior is because God sent one, but... I don't want to be negative and tell you about your sin and tell you, you know, tell you about the need to repent and trust in Christ alone for salvation. But uh, let me continue. Because he wouldn't have wasted the time. And, and Jesus meets every one of our deepest needs. And what we need to do is accept his gift of our past forgiven, purpose for living, home in heaven. Hey, Pastor, did you just say Pete off? I might have. You talk about, okay, so you think everybody needs a savior. I do. But what about those people who don't, you know, not all, I happen to be Jewish, not yeah. everybody. Yeah. I know Jesus, by the way, and I have a lot in common with the same religion. Absolutely. So not everybody. So by, again, let me set, let me remind you, he's the, the topic of discussion is the purpose of Christmas. Another great example of a topic that is tailor-made to bring up man's rebellion against god our sinfulness our need for a savior jesus christ living a perfect life for us his his death on the cross his resurrection from the dead both of which are for you know really to atone for our sins and propitiate god's wrath and how salvation is a free gift offered in Jesus Christ and the clarion call of the gospel, repent and believe this good news, right? I mean, isn't that really what the purpose of Christmas is all about? Okay. <laughs> okay. So, and uh, we, uh, did he discuss any such things? No. He necessarily goes that route. Well, see, that the thing is, Alan, I believe Jesus Christ came for everybody. I don't think he came for Christians. Uh, the Bible says, uh, take this good news to the whole world. I don't care whether you're Baptist, Buddhist, uh, Mormon, uh, Methodist, Jewish, uh, Muslim, or no religion at all. Jesus Christ still loves you. You still matter to God. Uh, true, and I think that's a wonderful message. But if you don't accept Jesus, if yeah. you're not somebody who goes that route religiously, yeah. can you find your way to heaven? Can you still be well, go to the same place when it's all said and done? I'm not the authority good? on that, but I believe Jesus is. And everybody's betting their life on something. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm betting yeah. that he's not a liar. Well, okay, I'm betting okay. that, he, that he told right. the truth. But what, about, what does it say for all those people who do not accept Christ as their personal Savior? I'm saying that this is the perfect time to open their life to give it a chance. I'd say give them a 60-day trial. Is that yeah, a 60-day okay. 60 60 trial? 60-day trial. Day trial. Sounds like the book of the month. will change your life. I dare you. Give Jesus a 60-day trial. Try Jesus. 
and you can get your money back. I and see if he doesn't change your life. What has happened to Christianity in the United States? 2008, we are at a low watermark. What's the solution to all this? Folks, it's real simple. Preach the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel doesn't have to do with good news about your financial situation, about receiving miracle manna, and and you can have a $50,000 uh, seed miracle or sowing fifty a $58 seed to save your marriage or uh, experiencing uh, greatness in your life or, or anything like that. No. You and I both are wretched sinners. Wretched. Daily, we sin against God in thought, word, and deed by the things that we've done and by the things that we've left undone. And God justly has every right to punish us here and in eternity for our wickedness that we've committed. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, is that Christ died for your sins and is offering you a 100% free pardon. He's offering you the thing that you can't do for yourself. He's offering to cancel your debts in sin, literally, that you owe against him. He's basically purchased you. And he's offering you forgiveness as a 100% free gift. This is the good news. Do we want to recover the church? Then we got to recover the preaching of the gospel for both Christians and non-Christians. And let that be the center and substance of everything that we preach, teach, and confess. Get back to reading the Bible in context, reading large passages of Scripture, and telling people where Christ can be found in all of the passages of Scripture, because the whole plot line is about him and his redemption of humanity. That's what we need to do. As Jesus said, go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. Rick and these purpose-driven guys all of these mystics, all of this crazy emergent stuff that's going on. Folks, religion in America couldn't be more dangerous. The chances of you being deceived by a false teacher could not be greater. And if you don't believe me, don't take my word for it. Test everything that I say against Scripture. I hope that this end-of-the-year 2008 summary, synopsis of just how bad the teaching is in America has gotten your attention. And believe me when I tell you, we all as the church are called to proclaim Christ and him crucified to our neighbors, to the people in our churches, to everybody that we come in contact with, to proclaim the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ and in him alone. When we get back to preaching the gospel, we'll see society change. We'll see people's lives changed. But more importantly, we'll see God's kingdom expand because it's only through the preaching of the gospel that Christ offers you know, to, to, to create faith in people. Even faith itself, the trust, the ability to trust in God for salvation is a gift from God, and it comes through hearing the word of Christ. And unfortunately, today's religious leaders in America fall woefully short of this of teaching this simple biblical message. And it's time for us to get back to the gospel. Get back to Christ and him crucified. Center on that. Center on on preaching the full counsel of the word of God and stop flirting with all of these stupid fads and spiritual idolatrous ideas that keep floating and wafting in. Because the scripture says that, you know, that if, if you're not grounded in Christ, then you're like a ship blown and tossed on the sea without a rudder. And that's what's happening to Christianity America. 
It's Christianity without a rudder, and it's being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, and false doctrine to boot, that's blowing through the church. And this is just the lowlights that we played in today's program. Anyway, we're at the end of our program. Folks, if you would like to email me regarding anything you heard today, you could do so at talk it back at talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Yeah, 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 I'm, I'm getting old. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Until next year, God bless you. <laughs>